Everybody, welcome back to the Flexible Dieting Podcast. I'm Joe Klumzeski with Dr. Kevin Brunacini, Austin Kiergaard. Today, we're going to talk about meal spacing. And I have to admit that when I wrote my first book, I put that very high on the list of a stair-stepping priority of things to consider when dieting. Outside of energy balance and calorie intake and macronutrients, then came meal spacing. And I, I was informed a little bit by the era of kind of the 80s and 90s where there was the Bill Phillips Body for Life saga and just, just bodybuilding culture in general. So it was pretty much a norm to eat every three hours, eat six meals a day, protein, protein, protein. So now you can see how far the pendulum has swung in this era of intermittent fasting and people thinking, oh, maybe I'm okay eating one meal a day or two. And I want to start out with just a little bit of a nod to some of the research, both classic and current, and, and start by saying the International Society of Sports Nutrition did a meta-analysis and position paper several years ago. And uh, Dr. Bill Campbell, then the president, said, when you look at a comparison between two and about seven meals, isocalorically, there's really just no difference. So if you want to eat two meals a day, if you want to eat five, if you want to eat six, seven probably not going to have much of a change if the calories are still consistent. Now, when you get into those lower meals, lower numbers of meals, obviously you have some issues with how much food should you eat per meal? Is it okay to eat a hundred grams of protein at a time? Is there a metabolic cost if I don't eat for eight or 12 hours? So a lot of things here in the middle and I know in our past Flexible Dieting Institute research reviews, we've covered some of these things, looking at meal timing and meal spacing. So first, Kevin, uh, you know, I, I wonder, knowing that you've been a part of those research reviews, some of those are probably lodged in your brain in terms of, well, there are some nuanced differences that can improve people's outcomes and include some of those felt satiety uh, concerns and so forth. So how do you feel about meal timing and spacing when you're dealing with real clients, real people trying to improve their body comp and health? If you have asked me 10 years ago, much like you, I would have felt meal timing, spacing at a higher place at the table. But as the research has become more apparent that it's just, it is important. It does have a, it does have a place at the table, but it's not the highest priority when you look at other, other variables. Um, assuming uh, calories are all equated for, but um, what jumps out at me is from a medical perspective, I feel that's where meal timing, spacing ought to be at least discussed with patients or clients is because there are some sugar concerns that may have to dictate how frequent one needs to eat more so than just out of, you know, just from a nutritional alone standpoint of just because we said so or type of thing. But um that is very nuanced. That's very individualized because some some need to eat three to four hours. Some are fine to six eight hours, regardless of their composition or preceding meal composition. But nonetheless, it's it's still a conversation worth having so that they're at least aware and mindful of maybe there is something to the frequency of eating. Maybe and if it is too frequent, there certainly can be some some neg there could be some negative. Uh, if you want to call it negative, there can be some, uh, what is the word? It can, it can just slow down progress. I suppose I'll say for like a better expression, but, uh, I'll stop there for now, but and throw it back to you, Joe. Yeah. I, uh, you bring up two things in my mind, which are 
you know, what you said about initially some blood sugar concerns, glucose disposal is a big physiological concern to me. And when we're looking at A1C and things like that, we know that there is a real difference in how people feel. And, you know, as somebody is losing body fat and they start to regulate what they're doing with their food intake better with more consistency, it just gets easier. And so initially somebody may need to snack a little bit more and, and allow that glucose disposal chronically to improve. That's one factor. Another is athletic performance or workouts. Uh, if somebody is training pretty hard or they have a really active job, I don't think you're going to get by with just two or three meals a day. I, I like to, to kind of square people up at, you know, three meals and one or two snacks. That's kind of a minimum for me. If somebody really wants to try to get by with three meals and they have a low metabolism, you know, maybe, but as soon as you start speeding up activity, I, I think you run into like, we, we definitely need to stay ahead of those energy needs a bit. And, and as a, a dietitian, uh, Austin, you know, what, what do you think about this? You're, you're a pro bodybuilder as well as somebody who has the academic background. Uh, and so you, you kind of see both sides of high performance achievers as well as general population. So what do you like to do with meal timing? Yeah, this is a great topic. Uh, similar to both of you, if you were talking to me 10 years ago, I would have placed it a lot higher, but, uh, after, you know, more education, more clinical, uh, I guess, experience. And just even with people that I've worked with over the last 15 years or so, um, there's just so many different approaches. And to your point, Joe, when you talked earlier about like intermittent fasting, like, Oh, how many meals can I get in eight hours? Like, it's just, it's just shifted. So it's, it's important, but it's important in that who are we working with? That's, that's the biggest thing. So if we're working with, um, somebody in a clinical setting, like one thing that I noticed is there's a lot of people because of medications, certain comorbidities, their appetite is not great. So just trying to get three meals is a chore. So, you know, I, I can see in that setting and in that context, like, okay, well, we'll start with three meals. We'll prioritize protein and calories and we'll monitor appetite, you know, what's going on. And then if we're looking for like general population, it's could be the same thing depending on age. Cause as we get older, appetite starts to decrease and things like that. So there's just an older population that maybe just doesn't have as much of an appetite and doesn't want to eat five, six meals a day. So again, we have to look at, at that demographic. Now, if we're talking like weight loss, sports performance, physique athletes, that's a whole different ball game. Cause to your point, Joe is when we're exercising and especially something that's sport related or weight loss, our exercise activity is going up. So we're creating a bigger gap, if you will, that, that, that deficit and we can see our hunger change. And so we may want to get more snacks and we definitely are probably going to require more than the, the 65 year old retired person that's staying at home. That's only working out two, three days a week. So the way I approach it is who am I working with? What is their food history like? And then I also look at different things. So I'll kind of go back to like the sport athlete specifically physique athletes, uh, I have physique athletes as they get leaner, uh, they're starting to get hungrier and hungrier. So I've talked to them about, Hey, if you're having like five meals a day and you're just starving, it's okay to go to four meals a day because now what are we doing? We're creating more bulk to the meal. We're having just bigger meals. So it allows them to feel more satiated, but to both of your points, some people could see that and say, well, if that's the case, then why don't I just do two meals and I should be set. Well, then there can be some some residual effects to that, uh, to your point, Kevin, because if we're eating one or two big meals, 
personally, in my belief, there's some things we're missing out on. Like, are you truly getting in 25 to 38 grams of fiber a day? Because if you are in that meal, you're going to have a lot of digestive problems. Are you going to try to eat uh, 80 to 150 grams of protein in just that one meal? You're going to have some digestive issues. You're going to have some problems. Uh, so then we have to ask ourselves, does that make sense logically? Uh, so I like to see where people are at, what their background is, and their kind of experience with eating and taking those factors into an account. And then we adjust accordingly. Maybe somebody will do fine off of three meals. Maybe they would prefer, you know, more five meals and they might need five meals. So that's kind of my approach to everybody. Good, good. And Kevin, I wonder if you've noticed the same thing personally or with clients and patients, but in this era of intermittent fasting, and, and a lot of people think, man, if, if I just don't eat till noon, if I skip breakfast and, and that sort of thing, I can save up a lot, a lot of calories and then I can eat more in the evening. And it, it just kind of helps me meet that demand. But you just can't overlook the research that shows when you eat more food in the morning, if you don't skip breakfast, especially in ad libitum studies where people then are allowed to eat whatever they want, they just the, the, the research is just monitoring how much they eat. People who eat a good solid breakfast, you know, grandma's old adages, you know, eat, eat breakfast like a king and so forth. They eat fewer calories the rest of the day and they end up on a net lower level of food intake. Uh, a couple studies I saw were up to 400 calories less per day if you just eat breakfast. Then when you start adding protein to the mix, now you're getting protein in that meal. Even with kids, they end up eating less throughout the day. So I, I don't know if this intermittent, intermittent fasting thing is very helpful in that regard. I remember even a study in Europe, because Europeans tend to eat, you know, one or two larger meals a day, even just moving your largest meal of the day, one hour earlier in the day, those people lost more weight and ate fewer calories. So that's part of the intermittent fasting craze that that I think needs to be addressed. But do you do you put much credence on that, Kevin? Do you tell clients at least let's experiment a little bit, or it's like yeah, whatever you feel like doing, then we'll just we'll just see what happens. As I tell you, our our roles, especially as health science health scientists, is to inform the pros and cons, risk stratify, et cetera, et cetera. It's not sexy, but you know, assuming that's the case for for these type of questions, that's always how I'm approaching it is that perspective. But I'm all for experimenting if they're if they really have the high motivation to want to do it, assuming they're, you know, not complete new to dieting. It's intermittent fasting certainly wouldn't be a first approach or methodology of use. But someone who has experience, they've done you know, they've done dieting or at least they're just they're not new to the whole industry, if you will. Sure, that's certain certainly something we can experiment with. I know I had personally, I only did it for function rather than actual weight loss benefit or a utility for weight loss. This was when I was in clinical. So I just frankly wanted convenience. I didn't want to be bar. Um, I didn't want to be bothered with three to five if other meals throughout the day when I'm just busy in clinic. So um, that was helpful. I just, and those were just three days of the week, everything else was just normal throughout the week. But um, that for me was a function. There are some other advantages of using, of using IF. That's something we can tackle down the line, but um, to answer your point, plain and simple though, generally, no, it's not something I lean in with, but if they're, if they have experience they're they have 
motivation to want to try it, sure, let's try it because it may work um, or it may be useful for them, but they understand when to apply it. I think is what's most important is when they when it's appropriate to apply it, understand those limitations of what it could mean when it is applied and how to navigate through it in the event they feel cornered with hunger cues rather than just putting their hands up and saying hell with it. But yeah. Yeah. I, I also, without making a client feel like we're just throwing stuff up in there and we'll try anything and see what sticks. I, I say, let's, let's do some very specific meal planning just to experiment and to see how it makes you feel. See if you find one, one way of doing things is easier than another. But, you know, as a final point, and we'll wrap up with this, Austin, there is some value to spending some time in between meals when you're digging into higher rates of body fat use and you are improving glucose tolerance and glucose disposal. So I know for myself, uh, I like to I like to do a little one meal a day, one day a week fasting. I did that in my first doctorate in a, in a course on fasting. And, and I find that to be kind of useful, not just as a little bit of a challenge to, to get me in that phase, but when you do that and your body has to switch over, speaking of the metabolic switch into higher rates of body fat loss, it becomes easier and you find yourself with less hunger and you get more fat adapted. So I think there is a, there is a point to try to stretch some, some meals out. So, so how do you address that Austin, if you do? Yeah. So one thing that, um, kind of we're talking about here is we also have to look at the the client and the individual. This is their, this is their journey, not ours. And there is no one size fits all approach to this. So if it's something that they want to try, I'm always open to it. I like to give warnings though. Like if you are feeling hungry right away, if you're feeling this way, let's, let's talk about that, you know, especially like when it's happening so we can come up with some ways. So if they, they wanted to do one meal a day, you know, I would, I would bring up my concerns as I had mentioned earlier, but if they definitely want to try it, I'm open to it because again, this is their journey. And then we'll just kind of see how they progress. And if it works well for them, then great. We learn that this is a better and approach for them. Infrequently, infrequently. That would, that was like a one day a week thing just to say, Hey, oh. Mondays are my fasting days. Gotcha. I, okay. I, you know, I eat dinner Sunday night and then I don't eat until dinner Monday. And that's just one day a week. I, I would never do that as like a process. Okay, I thought you were saying frequently. I was like, well, we could try it. I'm open. I'm open to trying things, but I do express concerns first. So, but uh, even one day a week, yeah, I think there's some benefits there. Your your body gets uh, adjusted to uh, kind of utilizing nutrients better, so to speak. You're kind of that that one day a week. Even your your body is. I don't want to say this. It's not depending as much, and it's kind of using those those fat stores like you were talking about earlier, Joe. And then. Again, calorically speaking, like if the goal is, let's say weight loss, like your end weekly total calories still may be in a deficit. So uh, again, I'm okay with people doing that to Kevin's point. It might just be a tool. There might be a day a week where that just makes sense. You just need to have one meal a day or you need, I, I work with a lot of nurses and I know a lot of nurses that like doing intermittent fasting kind of for that reason, especially when they're on their clinic rotations. Cause they're like I'm doing twelves, man. And I'm just busy and busy and busy. So like, that's not that hard for me to go another four hours of just not eating, um, and I just tell them to prioritize nutrient dense foods when they're in that, that eating phase. So yeah, if it's, if it's like a one time a week, you know, I, I definitely can see that being some benefit. Awesome. Well, we will do a, a, an apple, an episode on fasting at some point and go through all the different various ways to apply that just even in terms of experimentation and seeing what it's like, but awesome, Kevin, thank you guys. And we will see you next time in the flexible dieting podcast.